This is the Podium Finish Live on WSBU-FM, the Buzz 88.3. From Austin, Texas, and various points across the country, here's your host, Rob Johnson. And a good, good day to everybody. Thanks again for tuning in to the Podium Finish Live here on WSBU-FM, the Buzz 88.3 and on major streaming platforms like Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and of course, Spotify. I'm your host, Rob Tiongson, a motorsports journalist based out of Austin, Texas, who has been covering the NASCAR beat since 2008. I'm glad that you can all join us again for another jam-packed edition of Racing Talk here on TPF Live. For those of you listening to the radio show version of our program, welcome aboard. I'm going to be really thrilled to have you on for the full hour to listen to a variety of racing topics and of course our song choices that have become something of a hit with our show but if you're listening to the podcast well it's just as great too because you're going to get the uncut edition of our conversation here uh, for TTF live believe it or not though this is the fourth episode since the offseason kicked off last month but of course for those of you who've listened to TPF live in this edition this is episode number seven. Then, of course, that means we're three away from episode 10, uh, which is a great milestone in itself. And I don't know where this puts us in the um, timeline for the original TPF podcast, but I'm pretty sure uh, we're closing in on 100 um, episodes. So that in itself is really awesome. So really thankful to get this far into this new edition of the show. And we've got a lot to talk about here on this edition of TPF Live. So if y'all enjoyed the last episode with Luis Torres, who's our photojournalist uh, from the podiumfinish.net, and of course, NASCAR Hall of Famer Mark Martin being on the hot seat, I, I'm sure you're going to doubly enjoy today's episode because if you were tied to the 90s or you love short track races and road courses back in the late 80s, 90s, and early 2000s, then this is the show for you because... Um, our special guest today, he doesn't need really any introduction, but I'm going to kind of tease on that until we get to this part of the show, of course, which is to introduce my buddy, my co-host, and the man behind all of the audio editing and behind the scenes work, just like Harvey on Double Dare with Mark Summers during those good old Nickelodeon days of the 80s and 90s. That gentleman, of course, is my friend Nathan Solomon, who's here as always. Nathan, of course, is right now covering the basketball hoop action uh, for St. Bonaventure and of course on the side for Cornell. So Nathan, how are you, how you doing? I'm doing all right. I hit, hit the wrong button there. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm doing great. Getting ready for a, uh, a big game here on campus today. St. Bonaventure versus, uh, versus Buffalo. Uh, a, a big rival for us. Not non-conference game, but, but a local rival. So uh, should be a great game. Excited to get over there and cover that. But yeah, it's a uh, it's always a challenge to, to, to balance, you know, two, two basketball beats uh, plus, um, plus one of this NASCAR stuff too. So, but yeah, doing well though. That's great to hear. And uh, when this show airs on Monday, hopefully you're tuning in and you have realized that the Bonnies have won against Buffalo. Well, we're going to just say they did. Um, hopefully I'm not jinxing anything and we get back into that ranking, of course, um, that the AP knocked us out of. What the heck? After one loss, <laughs> not a lot of love from the uh, AP polls, but hey, you know, plenty of uh, basketball action left this year, of course. So I'm sure that we'll be back in the track. And of course, on a personal level, 
that means Buffalo versus New York, uh, Buffalo versus New England, rather, for Monday Night Football. So this is kind of ahead of the big game on ESPN. So I know a lot of you Bonnies, of course, support your New York teams. I am that exception that's going to support New England. I was from the Boston area for many years. So even though I live here in Texas, I still support my teams from Boston and New England. So go Patriots. Hope we crush the Bills. If that makes you unpopular on campus, that's why I live thousands of miles away in Texas. So no one can um, at me on that. <laughs> but hey, uh, it's, it's popular for me. I'm, I'm never going to root for the Bills. You never know. We're only a, only an hour from the stadium. I, I could always find myself at the game Monday. And don't worry, I'll be cheering for the Patriots with you right, if I oh. end up going. <laughs> well, if you do, I'm sure you're going to have to bundle up because I, uh, I don't know how the forecast looks as of now. But not good. All we, not good. Not good. It's football weather then. So if you go, you absolutely should. Um, and a little thing that you bodies don't know, um, of course, I have to do a little bit of school announcements before we get back to the show. For those of you um, who are Bonnies, of course, if you didn't know, we get discounts to go attend these games. So take advantage of it and watch some great NFL action from the Bills um, all season long. They've been a force to be reckoned with in the AFC East and in the AFC picture overall. So I know I, I'm a Patriots fan, but I, I have to acknowledge how great the Bills are, are playing this year. So it's going to be a fun December into early January with the expanded season. But you're not here to listen to the pigskin action. You're, of course, all here to listen to the motorsports action of things. So, yeah, we've got a lot to get to, of course. Like I said, we have a, a special guest that's going to be sitting in the hot seat. Like I mentioned, he was a specialist on the road course, on the short tracks. Heck, he was pretty good on super speedways, too. Um, of course, so that special guest that will be on later today, uh, later today on this podcast and show is none other than Team Penske's number two car driver from 91 to 2005, Russell William Wallace or Rusty Wallace. So I'm excited to have him on the show. And that is just one aspect of this show that I want to get into in terms of the format. So here's how this works in the words of Mark Summers. Uh, I'm not going to ask you a question, and if you don't know the answer or think the team doesn't have a clue, then you can double there and back, double there and back for four times the double the, two, two, uh, two times the amount. Um, no, there's no prizes on the show. But each week we get into a little bit of a PTI, pardon the interruption-like segment called Podium Perspective. So Nathan and I will typically go back and forth about the latest happenings in NASCAR, and believe you me, even though it's off season and we're off the tryptophan from Turkey. There's a lot to talk about in the offseason, so we're going to try to fit in as much as we can in that segment. And then, of course, we've got the hot seat interview with Rusty Wallace, so two awesome segments to look forward to. Even though it's the offseason, we're going to have a lot to cover and a lot to discuss, analyze, and I hope you fans who are listening in uh, tweet to us. So definitely, if you have any topics you want us to talk about, any reactions, tweet to us at the podium finish at Rob T. Onksen, and of course with Nathan at nsolly02. So, all right, folks, now that you've heard how, heard how this podcast is like, let's head to segment one, Podium Perspectives. Welcome back, everybody, to the Podium Finish Live here on WSBU. 88.3 FM The Buzz, and on major streaming platforms on the podcast side of things. Rob T. and your host, welcome you back for the first segment of our show. It's, of course, everyone's favorite segment, 
If I had a cowbell, I'd be shaking it right now for y'all because it's time for Podium Perspectives. Let's start things off by starting on the front row with Front Row Motorsports. Now on Tuesday, November 30th, Front Row Motorsports promoted their truck series driver, Todd Gilliland, to drive their number 38 Ford Mustang entry in the Cup Series, while two-time truck series runner-up Zane Smith will be driving for Front Row Motorsports number 38 Ford F1 entry in the Truck Series. Front Row Motorsports seems to be quite committed to ex uh, getting a much more uh, results out of their young drivers, thinking for the future. Overall, there's a lot of excitement around this team. So, you know, Nathan, with both of these aggressive but talented drivers solidifying their plans for next year. What are your thoughts overall on these moves? It's kind of weird because I'm surprised at the same time that I'm not surprised that that kind of makes sense. Like Todd Gillen, he's never made an Xfinity Series star up to this point, and he's making the jump right from truck to cup, and that's a huge jump. So I'm kind of surprised in that sense, but then with the family ties, of course, as his dad drove the 38 in the Cup Series uh, for, for years before, um, and of course their their partnership with with, with DGR and in, in the truck series and everything it just it, it, it kind of makes sense there um, but I'll, I'll say I'm a little surprised about about Zane Smith not that he's not capable enough I just didn't really anticipate that he'd actually be switching over to a Ford I I thought you know I know GMS was downsizing and everything I kind of expected though where he where he might stay because you know in the championship four this year, of course, won a race, won races before and everything. So obviously he's out there as, as GMS is again downsizing. So, but I, I think both can be, can be successful. Um, front row has not really held much stability in that 38 car here uh, in the cup series these last few seasons. So if I'm not mistaken, I think it's a multi-year deal. So Gillen will have a couple of years to really adjust and, and to, to this new car. And of course, the next gen car will level, level out the playing field a little bit. But overall, I like him, but, I, but it's, um, I, it's a little aggressive, I, I will say. I would say so, too, just because, not to put a Harry Potter joke on this, it seems like the 38 car is the NASCAR edition of Harry Potter and Hogwarts going through a defense against the art, dark arts teacher in every book up until, I think, book number six, uh, which would be Half-Blood Prince. Yes, I am a nerd, and I am proud of that. But uh, I'm, I'm pretty excited to see what Zane Smith can do on the truck side of things, just because we've seen what he'll do just to advance into the championship race um, at Martinsville a couple of months ago, which was super exciting to watch him do. And Todd Gilliland, of course, I liked what I saw out of him in the truck series, but it is a bit of a jump up for sure. Although th there are some in the racing industry that have told me that the jump from trucks to cup is not that much of a big difference because of the fact that the cup series we all we, we've talked to death about it of course the horsepower package and downforce package of the cup series where the 550 high downforce package is king at a lot of these tracks so i'm not a driver per se but that's an interesting uh topic to discuss with someone like todd gilliland and if i'm not mistaken i believe you are going to be talking to Todd Gilliland, as a matter of fact. Yes, I will be, and I'll, uh, I'll I'll be sure to ask him about that. Actually, right after right after this show airs here on uh, WSBU The Buzz, I'll, I'll I'll be talking with Todd Gilliland. So you have to stay tuned for uh, on the podium finish here these next few days to uh, to hear what uh, what Todd thinks about moving up to the Cup Series. 
So there you go. See, I we we make things work here on TPF Live, and there's a there's a method to our madness in terms of these topics. So yeah, you should definitely listen to Nathan's interview, which I'm sure we'll not only have on the podiumfinish.net, but also here on the program as well. So going to be exciting this month. Um, I guess you could say it's our advent calendar of treats for you guys and girls who listen in to TPF Live every Monday. Now, this next move is not so much a driver change as it is more of a charter and team change in the Cup Series. It is a bit of a monumental moment just because it's involving one of the most epic legends of NASCAR. In fact, I'll say epic legends of all of motorsports. Richard Petty, of course. Um, it doesn't matter if you were born in the 80s, the 2000s. This, this guy, Richard Petty, it's not just a guy. He's just one of the greatest immortals in all of sports. But um, his team, Richard Motors, Petty Motorsports, sold their controlling interest to GMS Racing uh, for $19 million, which, of course, if I had that kind of money, um, there'd be a lot of things I wouldn't be doing, like working an office shop. I would probably, you know, doing stuff in racing. But as it is, and jokes aside, uh, this transaction included Richard Petty Motorsports' two charters, which includes, of course, that famed number 43 car that's driven by Eric Jones, who, of course, if you've been listening to the podcast, Jones was on the hot seat for our first, our first rebooted episode. So a little homework for you, Bonnies, to listen to. But Nathan, how monumental is this transaction given the parties that are involved in this? And does this change anything really for Eric Jones and his crewmates heading into next year? Um, yeah, it's, it's definitely a really big transaction. $19 million is a lot of money, and, it, and it's the majority stakeholder of the company. So GMS is going to have the most control basically over um, Richard Petty Motorsports. However, it sounds like that RPM is going to kind of keep their name. Um, you know, Eric Jones is going to keep the RPM logo on his car, the RPM affiliation, the RPM colors, of course, the number 43. Uh, with how much changes, um, I I'm not sure. I don't think a whole lot because, again, I think he's going to still have the same personnel around him and basically the same equipment. I know that, again, he he's kind of going to be owned sort of by a different owner but I don't think that changes the whole lot you know Richard Petty's still going to have his say kind of on how he wants uh, how, how he wants I guess his part of the team to work and everything and and just to clarify for I, I think a lot of people are uh, kind of get confused when, when when people say oh Richard Petty Motorsports is two charters well, remember, uh, Rick Ware Racing operated um, Rich Petty Motorsports' other charter uh, on the lease. So that, that's where that other charter comes from. So I think a lot of people kind of forget that. But, yeah, I mean, with Rick Ware downsizing, they're not renewing that lease. And then, of course, Richard Petty Motorsports is selling uh, part of their team here to GMS, who is, is really into the, to, to, to having a presence of the Cup Series here. They'll have two or three trucks They'll have an ARCA car, and now they'll have a, one and like, kind of, I guess, one and a half uh, Cup Series cars, if you will. So um, I, I kind of like the move for GMS. I know it's NASCAR prices have, have really inflated here over the last year. Uh, I mean, the other day, just at, uh, at, um, at the banquet, Danny Hamlin was talking about that how he paid $13 million for his charter from, from Starcom for, for Kurt Busch's car for 2311 Racing, where the, the charter he bought for Bubba Wallace just last year was $4 million. That, that, that really shows how much NASCAR prices have 
inflated. But I, I think I think it'd be a good move for for GMS. Uh, obviously, a really risky move when when nineteen million dollars is involved. But um, if they have sustained success at the cup level, and Ty Dillon can win races, and Eric Jones can win races, and they can keep improving equipment, then uh, it could be an investment down the road that really pays off. That's a huge, huge change, really. If you think about like how Denny Hamlin only paid so much just to have the Bubba Wallace team set up for the charter. And then just a year and a half later, really, um, the price tag he had to pay to get Starcom's charter to basically secure Kurt Busch's number 45 team spot for next year. So it's a really intriguing uh, storyline to watch because for many years, um, the charter system was something that really didn't, I guess you would say, if you're not really a driver or team, it just sounded like a lot of um, malarkey, if you will. But in, in the end, really, or recently, there's a lot of importance behind the charters. It's, it's not just securing a spot in the field, which, of course, this would be the 2021-2022 edition of being in the top 25 in points uh, for those of you who have followed NASCAR for so long. There's a lot of stake with having a charter, um, including for those who are struggling teams, Unfortunately for Starcom Racing, their their cup efforts are done with, but um, it does mean that a new team like uh, 2311 Racing can have that second team finally secured in every race. So it's uh, it's an intriguing trade, if you will, or transactions, if you will, in the cup series uh, that we see, just because now we're starting to see the relevance with it, that someone like me and Nathan here can talk about it, whereas years ago would be like, heck is a charter, so. Um, it's going to be an intriguing thing, especially when we see a lot of these car owners age, um, because Richard Petty is not exactly a, a spring chicken, uh, with all due respect. In fact, I think as I look up, his age is he's 84 years old, which I think makes him one of the oldest car owners in NASCAR. So he's not going to be stepping away like what Nathan said. Like it's true, he will be around, but I think in the long run, having um, Maurice Gallagher having that stake with the 43 car does ensure that it will be okay for the future. Um, and who knows, maybe one of the petty clan mem uh, family members when they get older will be taking over that ownership in, in time. But that's a lot of years to talk about from now, especially with Kyle's uh, kids being so young, who knows if they'll have an interest in racing when that means Nathan will probably still be young and I will be a very old man when we get to that point in time. <laughs> I love making fun of my age on the show, but that's what we do here on TPF Live. Now, there have been a lot of movers and shakers in the NASCAR scene. I mean, the Nashville situation we'll get to um, for the podcast edition of the show as a bonus topic. But for this next one, we're really gonna, just going to focus on truck series action. I mean, the truck series alone has had a lot of changes in terms of the personnel and the drivers that will be in these seats. So we talked about Zane Smith taking over the 38 truck next year, but of course, a few of GMS's drivers from this year are moving over to Hattori Racing Enterprises. Now, of course, that means that Tyler Ankrum and Chase Purdy are going to be teammates once more, but they're trading bow ties for more of that old school Toyota logo because they're going to be driving the number 16 and 61 Toyota Tundras for Hattori Racing Enterprises, a very great solid, uh, solid contender for the title and, of course, race wins. Meanwhile, Talladega race winner Tate Fogelman will make a point in the truck series because he's going to be driving number 30 on point motorsports to see a Tundra drive. Yes, I made a pun. 
And I'm not gonna say sue me, but oh well, that's how I do things here on TPF Live. So while well, Toyota seems to be making a lot of moves in the truck series, and I don't wanna say my point yet, Toyota is definitely making their presence known that they are serious, they are invested with the future of NASCAR with these changes for these two teams. So Nathan, I'm kind of curious from your, your side of things, what are the short-term and long-term implications with these moves? Yeah, I think the, the, the moves there from Vittori are kind of interesting there. I mean, Tyler Ankrum, he, he's been full-time in the truck series now for a couple seasons, um, won a race here in 2019, but really ever since then has not been really a whole, really that much of a factor. He hasn't placed together um, consistent enough finishes to, to where he, he, he's been deserving enough to keep a, to keep a ride. So I think this year with Hattori, this is really like, this is really his last opportunity to go out and have a really good season, or he might, he, or he's really going to have trouble finding a, a, finding a good ride again, if he can't find a way to maybe get to victory lane a couple of times. Um, Chase Purdy, obviously didn't work out for him at GMS. Obviously they're downsizing from, what was it, from five full-time trucks this year, but you know, he's a little bit younger. He's, he's a little bit more unpolished. I think he, he just kind of has to learn how to mature a little bit on and off the track. And, and just, and, and I think as, as that comes, I think maybe some more success will come. He just has a lot of raw talent. And, I, and maybe with this opportunity with, with Toyota, he'll be able to get to, um, to, to finally start to figure things out and, and put place together some more consistent finishes. It just didn't work out with, with him at GMS this year. So, Again, I think high risk, high reward for Hattori. I think that they have the potential to go to victory lane, both of them, but also wouldn't surprise me if they didn't, you know. But um, for Tate Fogelman, I mean, you know, to your point, you, you know, you he, he deserved – he showed that he deserved a, a, another ride with, with his win at Talladega, and he's got an opportunity with On Point Motorsports in another, uh, I guess, mid-tier truck, if you will. So we'll see if he can take advantage of it and, uh, and, and run up front sort of, and, and get some, some top 15, which is, you know, kind of wins for, for a team like that. So uh, I, I like the moves. I do too. I mean, just because of the fact that the truck series um, up until I'd say the last few years, it hasn't really, there's been some concerns, not so much that if the series is going to survive, but what is its purpose? Is it just a cup feeding series? Is it just, you know, a series where you're not really going to go any further but it seems like it's going back to what a lot of longtime fans enjoyed about the truck series, which is having that blend of the mainstayers in the truck series that know that the truck series, the truck series will be as high as say a Matt Crafton is going to go, or Johnny Sauter is going to go, or even Sturt Friesen for that matter. Although Sturt Friesen will probably, I would say for those, the dirt track race at Bristol, any cup car owner would be foolish not to consider him um, if you don't have a charter and you're trying to, you know, at least finagle your way into a really great race. Um, but I really especially like since, these uh, so Especially since he'll be testing the next-gen car here eventually at a, at a dirt track in North Carolina. So I just had to throw it in there. Oh, yeah, no, for sure. So, I mean, Friesen, of course, I still think is somebody who epitomizes the originality of the truck series. And I think in terms of his age, as terms of where he stands, he's 38. So I know a lot of folks tend to say, well, that's a little bit old in, in sports, but in NASCAR, I still, I still think that's your prime as long as you are still competitive, which reason is, of course, as a truck driver um, amongst these young bucks in the truck series, like uh, Chase Purdy or Tyler Ankrum or Tate Vogelman, um, 
you know, I think for me, not only just for the short-term uh, prospects that Nathan got into, I think for me in the long run of things, it's showing that Toyota is trying to consider its future because unlike Chevrolet and to an extent with Ford, Toyota's roster is kind of a hodgepodge in, in terms of age and experience because with Joe Gibbs, the, the pilot uh, TRD team, I mean, Kyle Busch is about 37, I think, heading in next year. Danny Hamlin um, is in his 40s. And Martin Shrix Jr. is also in his 40s, which leads Christopher, Christopher Bell is like the young one in the team. So eventually over time, and Kurt Busch, of course, with 2311, uh, um, he's also in his early 40s. So, I mean, Toyota's going to be starting to think about its future um, in terms of what's going to happen on the cup side, wouldn't you say? Yeah, and they just lost one of their top prospects, of course. Harrison Burton, he's switching over to the 21 and Wood Brothers and Ford. So that, that's one of their top guys right, you know, right now, or, or, or what was one of their top guys. Now I think their, their top prospect now is Ty Gibbs, who, I mean, who, who will likely have a Cup Series ride eventually because, um, you know, we don't know how much longer Martin Truex Jr. is going to, uh, to be around in, in the Cup Series. He's obviously getting older. Uh, of course, Kurt Busch as well. And, and, and of course, I don't ever anticipate uh, – Ty ever driving for a uh, for for a manufacturer that isn't Toyota, so um, I, I think eventually he has a cup ride. But yeah, I mean, outside of really Ty right now, there's no there, there's no prominent prospects. Maybe you throw John Hunter Nemechek in there, but this is another big year for him in the Truck Series to see if he can, I guess, advance his way back up um, to the Xfinity Series. Brandon Jones is not. I, 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 right now he's kind of showing to be more of just an Xfinity series driver. He hasn't really had enough success as to where he can move up to the cup series right now, but yeah, I agree. It is kind of a little hodgepodge, if you will, for, for Toyota and, and TRD prospects. There's not really anywhere to go since there's only now six Toyota charters. So, I mean, I think in the long run of things, this is going to be another reason why a lot of fans should be watching the truck series just because if you're curious about what's going to happen to your favorite team or driver, well, take a good example with Hendrick Motorsports. When Chase Elliott drove um, in the truck series, I think in 2013, and he had that controversial win at Mosport in, in Canada, um, a lot of Jeff Gordon fans at the time were probably not thinking that, oh, in about three years, Gordon's going to ret retire and Chase Elliott will take over the 24. Um, maybe just out of a naive perspective, thinking that Gordon would never retire. But if you watch the truck series, you'll find whoever is succeeding in that series or um, a big team that has signed a young driver to get experience in the, in the uh, NASCAR levels will often make their debut in the truck series. So um, there's a lot to be on the lookout for with that series. So give it a try, fans, next year. I guarantee you it's going to be a lot of fun just even talking about these moves that uh, Nathan and I just covered here on the podium perspectives. Well, certainly I think that with the Toyota moves, we're going to have a lot to look forward to heading into 2022. Um, that in itself could be its own podium perspective, but uh, for those listening to the podcast edition, we got one more bonus topic we're going to talk about, which I alluded to a few moments ago. Now, Nashville has been on the headline for NASCAR, not only because of the award show that took place, uh, this past week, but of course, for those who have been following what's been going on with the Fairground Speedway in Nashville, well, there could be some promising news in terms of a fabled short track like 
Fairgrounds uh, Speedway in Nashville, finally returning to NASCAR, uh, more importantly, the NASCAR Cup Series. Now, the last time the Cup Series raced at that particular track in the Cup Series was 1984. I wasn't even born yet, so that goes to show how long ago that's been. But it would be really cool if this would happen, just because SMI has shown a lot of commitment to re, uh, rehabbing the track, basically taking it into a more state-of-the-art look, but it's going to retain that trademark competitive and paint trading um, style that it's been known for for so long. And for those of you who watched the SRX series, you probably got to see the uh, the race at Nashville, uh, the short track there. So it's really exciting to see the Music City getting some love again from NASCAR. So Nathan, I know you probably watched a few of the SRX races before. And if you haven't, I, I promise it's going to be awesome to watch uh, um, with the Nashville race. But with a lot of buzz around the short track at Nashville, and the potential for this track to finally return to NASCAR, uh, especially with the Cup Series. What do you think about this in terms of NASCAR trying to get back to its roots? Yeah, I like it. I think the, the, the SRX race there was, was really entertaining. And I think that when when whenever NASCAR comes back there, um, it, it's gonna be it's gonna be a really good race. So I kind of like what SMI is doing um, doing there to try to get. Uh, national back on the schedule. I think eventually that they're looking to restore North Wilkesboro. So that'd be uh, kind of interesting. I just wish that they could maybe uh, put just as much of a focus on their mile and a half tracks as they do try to restore some of these old short tracks, or maybe we could have a little bit better racing there. Um, but subtle shot there. Sorry. Um, but yeah, I think, I don't know. I, I think it'll, it'll be good for the sport. The short track racing is really what we, um, what we've all grown to love in NASCAR, but once this comes back onto the, the NASCAR circuit, um, it's going to have scheduling implications, you know, you know, you, you have to think that once, um, once that comes back on the track, then likely National Super Speedway loses its race. I know the Super Speedway is about an hour outside of, of Buff or Buffalo, um, outside of, um, outside of Nashville. And, and I can't really see NASCAR having two races in that same market at two different tracks maybe i'm wrong maybe they do unless they kind of i guess space it out with ones earlier in the year once later in the year i guess maybe you could make that work but but with 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 smi buying out um you know um you know buying out dover basically dover speedway motorsports or whatever whatever their name is um, I, I'm sorry, I forgot the actual name, but yeah, but, I mean, SMI bought out Dover, they bought out National Super Speedway, so they're in control of those two tracks. So I, I wonder if because of that, and now you kind of have two tracks in the same market, if, if maybe if maybe you could see Dover and National lo- losing rates here down the road. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting conundrum to watch, just because with SMI now having control of that Dover Downs Entertainment Group, uh, I think that's the shorthand name of it. Um, there's going to be a lot of hard choices that SMI is going to have to make because surely they don't want to give up the dates in, Char- in Charlotte because that's the stock car hub of now of the, of the series. I mean, they've got a great race with the Roval, uh, which, yes, I can attest to as being one of the best races you'll see all year long. You've got the 600, which, yes, it's not, not a total unfair pot shot to, uh, to critique the intermediate track races, but they're not going to give up those races there. Whereas out in Texas, they've already given up 
um, one of the data Texas Motor Speedway to basically promote the race at Coda. So that's not going to happen. So then that leaves you with Atlanta, which I don't know where things stand with that casino situation, but they've surely invested a ton of money um, to rehabbing re Atlanta Motor Speedway with the high bank addition that they hope will promote pack racing. So then, yeah, that leaves us in a great but interesting situation where does Dover stick around in the series? Does that mean it sacrifices its state for another race in SMI's portfolio? Um, it's not unusual to see the same market have multiple races, but it's going to be curious to see how National Super Speedway's races will be next year, not so much on the Xfinity and truck side, but with the cup side. Um, because we've talked about before about the next gen car test at Charlotte Motor Speedway, which I mean, me and you, we're not engineers, we're not drivers, but a lot of fans have had their, their concerns about it. Me and you as journalists, we don't really care how fast they go. We just want to see good racing. So if the race at National Super Speedway is good next year, and then we of course have what's going on at the short track, if you know the, the city of Nashville's on board with this whole situation. SMI is going to have to make some hard choices. Someone's yeah, going to have to take the guillotine, wouldn't you say? Yeah, they're going to have to choose wisely on on which races they're going to want because because of course NASCAR they're going to want the bulk of the bulk of the races at their at the tracks that they own. Yep. So at, so SMI, I think that they'll probably be around kind of the eventually. I think it's kind of around that number right now. I think in the twelve to fourteen race range of, of events that they'll end up doing. So, you know, you have to think two Charlotte right there, um, one Atlanta, one uh, at least, um, one, one Atlanta, one Las Vegas, um, two Texas, if you can include all-star race. And that, so that, that gets us to like seven right there. Yep. You, you throw Coda in there, eight. Um, let's say Dover at this point, nine. Uh, Bristol, 10, 11. And then New Hampshire, 12. So you're already at 12 right there. Then you kind of, you got to kind of choose, you know, pick and choose. Do you add an Atlanta race? Do you add a Las Vegas race? Um, do you, did you go back to Loudoun a second time, which, which for, for the longest time NASCAR went to Loudoun twice a year. Um, do you, uh, do you go to Dover twice again? Do you stick with Dover and National Super Speedway and add fairgrounds? Do you bring back, um north wilkesboro at the expense of maybe a texas state or something so yeah there's a lot of different things they could do and i think you kind of throw kind of throw it back to coda because coda is the, the most recent smi track on the schedule now that's owned and, and operated by um speedway Motor, motorsports that basically takes up one of their dates so yeah they're gonna have to them and nascar kind of have to choose wisely on, on how many races they're gonna want to um they're going to want to, to, to run in, in, in future seasons, but obviously the schedule is developed for next year. Um, but, but from, from what we've heard, I think coming 2023, there's going to be a, a, another big schedule overhaul. Exactly. Cause Steve Phelps said that in the state of NASCAR speech um, ahead of the cup series finale at Phoenix that, yeah, we, we've basically locked 2022, but 23 and beyond is going to be a lot different than what traditionalists are used to. So it's gonna be fun just because a lot of the younger audiences are used to the fact that New Hampshire had those two races before uh, one of the races got sacrificed over to Las Vegas. And I would say a lot of fans now have a greater appreciation for the Magic Mile um, 
And just the fact that North Wilkesboro could be even back in the Cup Series, as long as the track is rehabbed completely, the facilities are, are much more, um, shall I say, in working order in, in, the, in North Wilkesboro. Gosh, you're just going to, it's, it's a great problem for NASCAR to have, but we're not going to please everybody at, in the end. But I think, especially if this next gen car is built as this great all purpose vehicle that can produce great racing, it doesn't matter how much horsepower they have. I just want to see good racing. Then we're going to have a series that says, Hey, old traditions, you're welcome back. And if for the new way fans, I would define that as 1998 and beyond. They're going to be thrilled to still have some of the familiarity that they knew. So it's exciting times in NASCAR. And uh, I'm sure that we're going to get into a lot of that conversation next year, uh, especially as we figure out uh, the uncharted waters of next year. But with that, I hope you all enjoyed our thoughts on podium perspectives because uh, we want to hear from you race fans. So again, if you want us to talk about other things, tweet to us at the podium finish or at Rob T. Yonkson or at nsolly 2 uh, With that, folks, we're going to head into the next segment, which is in the hot seat. Well, but anyways, folks, you're in for a very special treat. It's the off-season, but this is just as good as any time to share special stories within the NASCAR scene, especially from those that are the NASCAR immortals or legends. Now, the last episode, we heard from Mark Martin, who is one of the most iconic cup drivers to this day, who was immortalized in the NASCAR Hall of Fame back in the class of 2017. Well, four years before Martin was uh, honored by the NASCAR Hall of Fame, this next guest was a prolific part of the 1990s and the growth of NASCAR to the mainstream scene. Now, of course, a lot of folks would attribute Jeff Gordon to being that poster boy driver that um, got Wall Street to know about NASCAR, that introduced stock car racing to the, the cities like Boston, um, Los Angeles, anything where anyone was an anybody in pop culture in the 90s. But to me, this driver was the quintessential uh, poster boy or poster guy in terms of what NASCAR racing was, in terms of being this rugged, on the edge, aggressive series that to this day, I still enjoy covering many years later. For those of us who remember him, we, we know that he raised a lot of hell on the short tracks. He was the king at Martinsville, Bristol. Anywhere where paint trading was, was happening, this guy was down for it. If it was road course races at Riverside, Sonoma, Watkins Glen, which is where Nathan's nearby, well, let me just say that this driver kicked a lot of you-know-what. Yes, censored for that part. <laughs> but Rusty Wallace is, is and one of the best drivers and still echoes into my mind to this day as a true icon in motorsports. Now, full disclosure, I, I spoke with him last year, but this was an anticipation not only of my anniversary of, of NASCAR fandom since 1991, but also to mark the 20th anniversary of Rusty's first full-time season with Team Penske, um, which, wow, I mean, thinking that 1991 was 30 years ago makes me <laughs> realize the passage of time is, um, it's something. So Nathan will probably attest to that here really shortly. But uh, Rusty Wallace, wow, I mean, it's so cool to even have him on the hot seat. Uh, before we uh, have him, you know, chime his thoughts, I know, Nathan, you probably were a little too young to remember Rusty, but you may have caught him, um, 
you know, in the racetrack on YouTube races. But of course, if you listen to the radio race, uh, radio side of things of races, you know, him from MRN radio. So, I mean, from what you know about Rusty, I mean, how cool is this to have one of the, I don't want to say gods of NASCAR, but yeah, one of the gods of racing. Yeah. One of the, one of NASCAR's legends. I mean, it's always cool. I mean, how about this back to back TPFY's episode with a NASCAR legend? That's pretty neat. Um, but yeah, I mean, he, he's one of the greatest NASCAR racers. Um, obviously, he didn't really race my era of watching NASCAR. He started in, in 2008, which he was done by then. So I never, never got to watch him, you know, race in person or really even race live on TV. But yeah, one of the greats. And it'll be really exciting to hear what his thoughts are. For sure. So with that, folks, let's get in the hot seat and let's hear from Rusty Wallace as he's the focus of this week's episode. Enjoy, folks. Rusty, talk about racing with us. All right, so Rusty, 1991 marks your first full season with Roger Penske's new number two Miller Genuine Draft Pontiac ride. After your success with Blue Max Racing, including the 1989 championship, what was it like to drive for the captain and to build upon the foundation of the successful NASCAR Cup efforts? Well, for me, it was really everything because I mean, I always respected everything he did in IndyCar, and he he was like the king of racing to me. He was like, oh, my God, if I could only be like that or ever drive for a person like that, that'd be amazing. Uh, although, I just won the championship, and I had a great car owner. But, uh, you know, financially, he, he was uh, – uh, we just couldn't get the sponsors we needed at that point to continue on. And so, um, Roger uh, – and I and Don Miller talked about forming a team. And when we put the team together, I just couldn't believe we did it. It was just such a dream come true for me, even though I was real blessed to be driving for a guy that I won the championship with Raymond Beetle. But when I knew that was over, I couldn't think of another person I'd rather be with than Penske because he's just, uh, I'm, trying, I'm trying to think of a big word to tell you. He's uh, he was like God to me, you know, <laughs> when, when it comes to racing. And I'd say he felt the same way about you because, I mean, I know he's had a few cup efforts prior to you guys forming the team in 91. I think he might have driven – I think you drove for him in 1980 for your cup debut at Atlanta, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, I did, yeah. In 1980, I drove for him, and we had a we had a hell of a first run. I finished second for him the very first time. And then we decided to run another race, and when we ran the other race, we had mechanical problems. Then I ran another race for him, and we kept having – we had some more mechanical problems. And then uh, it was really starting to affect the guys in the IndyCar shop because they were trying to run the stock car out of the same shop. And it was just uh, – it just did not fit at all. He told me, he said, bud, he said, why don't you go back, get some more experience, and hopefully one of these days our paths across again. And, boy, was I disappointed. But after I won the championship in 89, I called him back up, and I said, do I have enough experience now? He says, hell, yeah, look. Let's do it. And so then we started the team, and that's how it all Penske Racing uh, started. That's incredible to think about just how life kind of happens and fate intertwines two people who, you know, are destined to have great success together. It's awesome to know how that all came together. And I know in 91, you won a couple of times, um, including at Bristol and Pocono. Um, what was it about these tracks, uh, especially, you know, the short tracks, the road courses, and these big super speedways that seemed to suit your approach? Well, the uh, I grew up on the short tracks of America, so I kind of cut my teeth there, and I felt comfortable um, racing on those short tracks really good. 
And the road courses was something I never did run before, but I knew that I was going to have to get good at. So I went out to the Bob Bondurant experience out in Sonoma, California. And uh, he taught me a lot of road racing skills. And But what really got me going is when um, uh, Barry Dotson and all the guys at Blue Max Racing said, let's, let's build a – let's really – put our focus on building a great road course car because back then they used to take short track cars and uh, like we would run in Martinsville and Bristol and places like that. And they would take and uh, change the upper A-frames and re-outfit them to turn left and right, which it wasn't the proper way to do it, but it was the quickest and that's what most people were doing. But they said, you know, we're going to build a car that's just totally road course car it, 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 it built to turn right mostly because that's what all the road courses were back then mostly right hand turns and so we built them and, and then started testing and testing and testing and they really brought me up to speed and man then i took off and i started running good and i started winning and uh, boy it was just fantastic i won the very last two races ever run at riverside speedway before they shut it down so you look at that long long history of riverside and the last two winners were Rusty Wallace, Rusty Wallace, and it felt good. Yes, yeah, let's just say I do remember those days as, as, as a young man. I was five years old when I first got into NASCAR. Um, into, I got into NASCAR in 1991, which is why we're talking about the season. Um, and let me tell you, as a young man, as a young kid at the time, um, I always feared when we get to the road courses because I was like, yep, the two cars are going to be in the front, and sure enough, he'd win one of those races. So, <laughs> cool. oh, man. Yeah, well, we'll get, I'll get to the later part of that in a bit, which is going to get funny because um, I grew up a Jeff Gordon fan off the record. So let's just say that um, if, I, I'm glad I'm 34 years old and not four, uh, 14 years old because I think I wouldn't have an easy time talking to you because <laughs> you gave Jeff so much hell <laughs> during those times. But let's get back to 1991 again. You know, NASCAR really was starting to take off in popularity. You know, I recall TNN joined the series as a new TV partner. Yeah. And there's a lot more in-car radio check-ins during telecast. Ken Squire would, you know, buzz in with these guys during races. So what was it like when you would get on the horn during these races? Did you feel it, it was a way to bring in fans to closer to the action and kind of understand what you guys are going through? Or was yeah, it you're, you're talking about being uh, interviewed during the race uh, or on a caution, right? Yeah, like or a pace lap. And they'd be like, hey, Rusty. Yeah. Yeah, well, I always considered it uh, a, a, a nice honor, you know, to, that they wanted to come to you and that all of America was listening to how we felt and, and, and before the race started. I mean, what was going through your mind before you took the green flag? And uh, I didn't mind it at all. In fact, I, I felt it was a real good pump for my sponsors and myself to be able to get that interview request because I'd get up there and say, you know, well, we'd had practice last night and the car wasn't real good, but we made a lot of changes and it's going to be a nervous first couple laps to see how all these changes have been. And they, and then everybody was like, wow, I didn't know that. Holy smokes, you know, and, and Hey, Rusty, every time you did it, they introduce it, they did that for me to say at Bristol, it'd be like, Oh, I wonder what Rusty's got to say. Cause he's been the winning his driver here. What's he, what's it, what's on his mind, you know? So it was more or less a set the tone, kind of get the people jacked up, but they still do it today. And, uh, and right now with Motor Racing Network, uh, I was doing that when I first went to work for them, interviewing. But then they passed that new rule where now TV had a after break, TV was doing it, radio was doing it, and radio had to come after television. So they asked the question, and then I would come in and ask the driver the uh, another question. It got to be annoying, and there wasn't enough time for the driver, so we quit doing it. But uh, it worked on television. It still does. 
Oh, for sure. I love the, I love when they have those opportunities to do that just because, yeah, literally seconds before you guys let it loose on the racetrack. So, I mean, that's just incredible to get your thoughts because I don't think in other sports you can do that. You can't interview Tom Brady just before he goes on the, the football field or, like, he's on the football field before he snaps, uh, you know, for a, a game. So, that's just incredible that happens. Now, this next question comes from actually one of my longtime friends who is a Rusty Walls fan and he serves in the U.S. Air Force, um, he asked me to ask you this. In 1991, you won the IROC Championship. Would you mind telling the folks about that experience and any interesting stories you have about racing in IROC during that time? I'll tell you, that was one of the, the biggest honors that's ever happened to me. You know, running the IROC and then um, winning that championship, I believe that particular year there was four races, and I believe I won three of them. And uh, to race against some of the world's greatest drivers, I mean, whether, whether it was A.J. Ford I raced with or, or Dale Earnhardt Sr. On the, on the cup side or all you know, the IndyCar guys, uh, to be able to race with all the IndyCar guys and Formula One guys and stuff like that, I think even, I even think, I'm trying to think, but I even think Nigel Mansell might have raced with this one time or it might have been. It was either 91 or 93. Uh, we were going. I was going for the world driving title, basically the driver of the year around the country, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, and Nigel Mansell beat me, and I finished second. And that was a real highlight of my career, you know, racing a guy like that. But you know, IROC brought that many style of people involved. That you could race with world champions from all different uh, parts of the world, and it just it, that was a real honor to be in IROC because. Gosh, you never know what was going to happen. Although when you got to the Daytonas and you got to the Michigans and the Oval Tracks, you felt like you had an upper hand because that's that's what you've been doing your whole life, you know. Um, and sometimes they'd prove you wrong, you know. Steve Kenzer, I believe, is one of the guys, even with the sprint cars that we raced against, you know. But uh, I, I loved IROC. I hated to see it go. Um, Jay Signori, who operated the whole thing, and Penske, a big owner, they just did a great job doing that stuff, man. I just... And I, I really, really enjoyed it. I missed it too. And um, let me tell you, there are no times I loved watching you go to wheel the wheel, Alan Jr. Um, I think you raced against Mario Andretti during one of those years as well. I think eighty ninety. I think you got it on that. Absolutely, raced against all of those guys. You're exactly right. Uh, it was just a neat time. Oh, and I, I missed it. I, I know that um, there's kind of a new series, the SRX, which we'll see how successful that will be. But it'll be, it would be cool to see an IROC series return one, one of these days because I think that it's always it's always a curiosity, whether you're a fan or journalist or driver, you always want to see who's the best amongst the best. Uh, That's the sure. I, I'm excited about Everham's new deal he's put, he's put together. He told me about that about six, eight months ago, what he's trying to do, and um, they want me to compete in that, so I might do that. I was about to ask, are you are you itching to compete in that? And if you are, I'll, I'll I can certainly tell you, I'll, I'll be really curious to see how you do it. It'd be fun to watch you race again. <laughs> well, they're going to be short track style cars. They're going to run them mostly at short tracks around the country, try to keep the speed down, you know. But when he got a hold of me, he's going to, I think he's going to want guys like myself and Tony Stewart and, uh, uh, you know, he's going to get uh, Jeff Gordon in there a little bit. And it's going to it's basically bringing back the guys that, you know, raced 10 years ago to try it. So, We'll see how it goes. I mean, with a nice new TV contract like they got, and now they got to build all this stuff. It's going to be a lot of work, you know, getting all these cars built and done. But if anybody can do it, Ray can do it. Oh, absolutely. And I think it'll be – there's a lot of potential with it. So you get to be in it, a 
and all these other drivers who they're thinking in mind can join it. And, you know, certainly I look forward to covering that series myself. Um, kind of shifting gears a little bit, kind of you brought up a question that I have in mind. You know, you weren't afraid to mix it up with drivers like Dale Earnhardt, Davey Allison, Mark Martin, Ernie Irvin, and as I mentioned before, some guy named Jeff Gordon. So, I mean, what's some of your favorite on-track battles during these times? Do you miss sometimes going door-to-door with them? And in particular with Jeff Gordon, even though you guys are both retired drivers, do you still sometimes go, man, if I had the opportunity to get even with him, I'd still, I would so do it. <laughs> no, not really, because Jeff and I became pretty good doggone friends. In fact, we got back, we all went out as a group to uh, Glamis, California in the sand dunes. Uh, a guy named Ron Pratt, who's a big buyer at Bear Jackson, hosted us all to come out there now for like the, about the last 10 years. But the last three or four years, I've been going out there, and Jeff has been with us, and uh, we've been running sand dunes and having a good old time, and we've it's been a it's been a great trip to to be with a lot of racers and hash out things and laugh about it and this and that you know when you were racing together and competing it was one thing but now when you get back to look at it we find ourselves laughing more than we do you know saying I'm gonna get even with you because there's no no meanness out of anybody that I've uh, seen now the, our last trip it was me and Jeff Gordon and it was Tony Stewart and it was uh, Clint Boyer and uh, uh, Greg Biffle and the list went on and on Don. Perdome, the big drag racer, was with us. Uh, but it, it's been a way to bond, so to speak, you know. Uh, but, no, I, Jeff's definitely not one of those that I'd want to do that against, or I have no hard feelings at all with him. Uh, back when I was driving, I did. But let me think here. You know, you know, when I first started racing, I mean, uh, the guys like Richard Petty were still driving, just started. He was just getting ready to quit. And I did a lot, so much racing with Dale Senior. Him and I just, we, I think between the two of us, we we had some really good runs in the '90s. That uh, there's many races I went to, and they call it the Rusty and Dale Show. I, I was winning, then he'd win. I'd win, then he'd win. You know, it's right in the middle of that when I was winning all those Martinsville races and all those Bristol races and all those road courses. You know, '93 I won ten races. '94 driving a Ford, I won eight races. Um, when we first switched to Ford, stuff like that. I mean, it's just so many cool guys I got to run with. Uh, then the new group came on, the Kevin Harvicks and the Jimmy Johnsons and all, and, and all that group of people. And even, and even um, um, Jeff. I mean, Jeff, he didn't get going like 92 or 3, I think it was. Yeah. But uh, before that, I was getting it done. I mean, 88, 6 wins, 89, the championship and 6 wins and so I was racing with a whole different group of guys before Jeff came on, but and then in the, you know, the later '90s, and he was the guy. You know, he was doing so fantastic; it was unreal. Yeah, I mean that's the cool thing about the '90s is that I feel like a lot of your drivers there was just so much greatness in that that group. I mean, you were kind of the I guess you were the young brash driver, and then you were you evolved into this really polished, but smart, aggressive race car driver in the late 90s who, you know, wasn't afraid to mix it up. And I think that's what, you know, and I think about it now as an adult, I miss those years. Um, just you just mixing it up, not being afraid to speak against NASCAR um, because I can relate. Uh, there's moments in life at my day job, I go, man, you know, I feel like Rusty Wallace right now. I should just tell my work here $10,000 a penny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, we did all kind of fun stuff like that. Gosh, has it changed a lot? I'm not going to say it's changed for the worse. It's just so different, you know? Yeah, it has. And um, 
you know, you mentioned about calling races from Amaran, and I call, I've heard your races um, on there, and I enjoy it because like, it's a lot like talk, hearing a friend talk about a race. But I mean, what is it like to now be, you know, calling these races from the booth or the studio these days? And is there a driver in NASCAR today that reminds you of yourself? Um, I'm trying to think. As far as myself as a driver, uh, I, I really look at Kevin Harvick of late because Kevin built his own cars. He designed his own cars. He owned his own race team in trucks and in the Xfinity series. He knows a lot about a car. He's not a, not afraid to speak up, and by the way, he's a hell of a driver. So I built my own cars. I designed my own cars. I'd paint them, help build engines. We'd tow them to the racetrack. we and run all those short tracks and win all those races. And I'm like, you know, Kevin's done that. But I can say the same thing about a guy like Kyle Busch. He's done that too. And the other guy is uh, Brad Keselowski. He built all these cars and designed all the stuff with his dad up in Michigan and stuff. And there's a lot of drivers now that never did do that, never understood it, but still were successful. You know, but I, I think a guy more like me currently behind the wheels got to be Harvick. I was going to say, I noticed some parallels between the two of you. That's because it seemed like as the years went on, you'd still be so good and so tough that sometimes I just go, you know, maybe it's not too bad to get old because you're still, you're still if you love what you do, you have the passion and you have the, the, the desire to succeed. You know, that's what kind of still keeps you going. So, I mean, I think that's a really interesting comparison, and I'm going to have to watch for that. Um, we get to Kansas on Thursday. Um, you know, I've got, another, I've got a few more questions here. Um, I'm excited about this next one. It's no secret that your favorite race car, I think, has to be Midnight. Now, as I guys mentioned earlier, as a kid, when I heard that you'd race Midnight, I go, oh, boy, you're going to win. And, yeah, you did. Uh, but when did you realize that this was your favorite car? And how often do you recall the team getting Midnight prepared, like if they were back-to-back races, that it would favor it? Yeah, Midnight was a car that, that's another car we designed with a lot of new technology that we've learned and figured out. And uh, gosh, every time I took that car to the track, it had it, it just handled so well. You know, a driver always wants the front of their cars to stick good and turn good, so you can point them and direct them where they really need to go to. And doggone Midnight, that son of a gun, whether we had it as a Pontiac or whether it was uh, under the body of a Ford, it really kind of ran the same. It, it handled perfect. And I think I won 19 races with Midnight. And, uh, yeah, I think it was 19 cup races. But it got to be – I would go there to the track with Midnight, and it would give me so much confidence. And just like you said, when the fans heard about Midnight, they go, oh, Rusty's going to win because he's got Midnight. And that's when a car – had a personality. I've told NASCAR many times, you guys got to get these drivers to name their cars. Uh, I just think it's fantastic that you can name a car and then give it. I, I remember I had a name, a car named Whitney. I had a car named um, a Madonna. I had uh, Midnight and I had Midnight Rider. But boy, I tell you, Midnight resonated with everybody. You know, the, I'd be doing an interview with a fellow like you, and I and they say, hey, well, well. What's your confidence level going in this re- this week? And oh, by the way, what car are you taking? I go midnight. So oh, I can already know your confidence level then, you know. And <laughs> yeah. uh, but that car really would do something. It, it it would take some drivers and deflate their ego right away. I, I remember going to racetrack, going to Atlanta, and I won the Atlanta race I'm talking about. And uh, Earnhardt comes up to me, "Hey, Rubberhead, what car you got this week?" I go midnight, and he goes, "Oh shit." <laughs> 
just like that. Oh shit, you know. And uh, it was like he was already beat, you know, when he heard it was that car that was coming. <laughs> I, I felt the same way too because it, it's like it's just like it's like a quote I'll say from Daryl Waltrip. It's like you put on a sports coat and it makes you feel good, and that's I think that's what midnight was for you. Yeah. Um, for this other car that you drove in the nineties, I don't know if it's called a snake or something, but um, it was. It was a car that you could often run in those short tracks, but I think Midnight was, must have been the one because, man, as a kid, I knew you'd win and you would more times than not when you would bring that car. <laughs> oh, well, um, thank you. But, boy, it gave you a lot of confidence when you took that car. You know, then, then you know what, then people start really doing a lot of work in their cars. And we, I think one thing we did wrong, we got so confident in Midnight that we started going to racetracks and getting beat, and then we get beat more. And I'm like, oh, this, I think old Midnight's finally ran its course. <laughs> it's time to... <laughs> put her out the pasture and so i took midnight and uh we got a hold of it and brought it back and then my son greg got a hold of that car and when they put me in the hall of fame in 2013 uh, we completely restored that car and put the original ford uh, thunderbird body on it and it car is a 10 pointer it's beautiful so it sat in the hall of fame for a year midnight did with a ford body now it's sitting up at my Ford dealership up in Tennessee on display up there for all the fans to come by and look at. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I hope you found it to be an incredible treat to have Rusty Wallace join us here on TPF Live. Now, I want to thank Rusty, of course, and Dan Zacharias from Campbell Marketing and Communications for making this special project possible for the Podium Finish and the Podium Finish Live. And I do intend to have the Mark Martin and Rusty Wallace interviews available on digital print edition on the podiumfinish.net. So stay tuned for that. I'm, I'm going to definitely make sure that that gets on the website very shortly. Um, but in terms of legends, yes, it's really great to have that. And I do want to do a little teaser. We have a few more of those coming up the pipeline. So if you enjoyed hearing from Rusty, you enjoyed hearing from Mark, well, folks, I've got a lot of tricks up my sleeves. And these next two legends that we're going to have at some point down the road, maybe next week, yeah, you're going to really want to tune into TPF Live because uh, we do things pretty fun here on this show. But before we close out for this edition of, the, of TPF Live, uh, wow, can I say we're heading to the holiday season and it's crazy how quickly time is flying by. So for those of you who celebrate Hanukkah, of course, I want to wish you all a very happy Hanukkah and hope that it's very safe and enjoyable holiday season back with your families. Um, and just a couple of house cleaning things I want to say before we close out. Um, I hope all of you are being careful during this pandemic. Um, just again, always trust the verified news sources, uh, especially those of us who are studying journalism. We know about a thing or two about that. So um, always keep apprised of what's going around you locally and nationally um, from trusted news outlets. Don't Try to read too much onto what social media may say and don't be fearful of what the truths are. Um, and then the other thing I want to say too is, yes, we did have unfortunately a, a, a situation in Michigan that was really terrible that happened. And it's still sad to this day that it, it, these things happen. So I want to, you know, Nathan and I, of course, and the whole Podium Finish team, we all want to send our hearts and thoughts to those impacted by the Oxford High School shooting um, in Oxford Township, Michigan. Um, that state's really, really close to my heart because my sister Luna lives up there. Um, and I have a good friend named Matt, who's part of our podium finish team. I really hope everybody in the Wolverine state knows that we're thinking about them and, um, 
again, it's not about politics. It's not about making a statement, but I just hope everybody just keeps safe and just remember to enjoy each day, no matter how good or bad it is. So, um, yeah, I, I, it's, I can't imagine being a parent who's lost their child from that, much less being a kid who endured that. So just hope our world gets a little bit more cohesive in terms of things, um, just because life is so short. You just got to make the most of everything for sure. But we're going to end things on a more positive note. I didn't mean to make it too somber. So yeah, I mean, Nathan's going to be heading off to cover the uh, the St. Bonaventure game. And I wanted to make a little joke, by the way, when he meant, kind of said Buffalo for the podcast side of things and really meant to say, I think, Nashville. I found out that there is a Buffalo, Tennessee. So a little fun fact there. I think you were thinking about I-40 in driving that one that way. Or maybe thinking about the Music City Miracle. <laughs> I'm sorry, St. Bonaventure fans. I have to rub it in your face about what happened in a certain wild card game called the Music City Miracle. Um, but yeah, do I it. mean, go ahead, Nathan. I said, do it. Don't, don't be afraid to, uh, to rub it in. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm all I'm going to say about that game. Well, when we get to, oh gosh, when we get to January, which would make that game 23 years old, which is old enough to be my kid. If I was a dad, um, all I'm going to say is Doug Fleety should have started that game. Rob Johnson, no offense to the Roberts out in the world. Was, it was a foolish decision um, to have him started. Wade Phillips, if you if I could send this back to 1999, 2000, Wade Phillips, what were you thinking? Start Doug Flutie. But hey, again, this is a racing conversation. I guess at some point we should have a football show because uh, we could be like Rich Eisen and Stuart Scott, um, but we just got to come up with some come up with some catchphrases. Also, too, I do want to give a shout out to my professor, Dr. Brian Moritz. Uh, allowing our class, uh, Digital Journalism Today, to partake in an epic masterclass session uh, with a lot of uh, Bonnie alumni, uh, including the Wodge or Adrian Wojnowarski. Uh, we got to talk to Chris Laplaca from ESPN. Um, there are just so many great luminaries. If I got into that, I would probably want to make you study at St. Bonaventure. Hey, I should make, we should be spokespersons for that. So, hey, I know this is not a commercial, but for those of you who are thinking about a quality education, uh, whether as getting your bachelor's or getting your master's, you really should consider studying at St. Bonaventure. So if you want more information on that, you should certainly check out St. Bonaventure's website at www.sbu.edu and get in contact with um, a counselor to join this great university. So not a commercial. I'm not being paid by that. I just wanted to pour my heart, heart out to this great university. But as we wrap up this edition of the show, next week is going to be, I think we're getting closer to another organizational test at Charlotte Motor Speedway. So that in itself, we'll be watching our close eyes on. And I'm sure there's gonna be some more silly season moves. Um, as we close out, I just saw right now, as we close out the show, that Voyager uh, cryptocurrency company is looking to expense, uh, extend your sponsorship of Landon Castle. You've talked about this offhand, and I think on the podcast. If not, this is probably your first time talking about it. Landon Castle, college racing. This is exciting. That could be cool. Yeah, it looks like it's gonna it, it's gonna happen. The cap's kind of out of the bag there. Um, it's, it was kind of the news was broken yesterday, even though no official 
uh, announcement, but it sounds like, uh, yeah, Landon Castle's finalizing a deal to go to, uh, to college with, with Voyagers. So good for him. He's going to have a great opportunity there. And I uh, hope he can take advantage of it. I do too, just because uh, college racing has been the team that has basically rehabilitated um, the not only the image, but the long-term prospects for these drivers who just needed a good seat. I mean, look at Ross Chastain, who had that unfortunate situation happening with Ganassi uh, on the sponsorship side, but then, you know, Colleg Racing came to his rescue. Um, well, JD Motorsports did too, but I mean, in terms of a quality ride, Colleg Racing put him on the map. AJ Allmendinger, he's experiencing a resurgence in his career. Um, and then, of course, you're looking now at Daniel Hemrick, who is the defending Xfinity champion, going to have a great team around him at Colleg Racing. And then Landon Castle, who has been, in my mind, one of the most underrated drivers in, in all of NASCAR. I mean, I know folks say, well, you know, what happened to him at Junior Motorsports? Well, he was a young driver getting his feet wet. But now he's a matured, prepared, focused driver. If he has a great ride to call it racing, and I hope we get to talk about that next week, we may just have him on the show to talk about that because Landon and I are good buddies, of course, so should be great to have him on. And I want to close out with a few teasers in terms of future uh, interviews. Um, I'm really excited to have another legend that will be joining us at some point down the road. That driver, of course, being Bobby Labonte. So I'm looking forward to that. And for those of you who like journalism, I hope you do. Jandoli, J, uh, Jandoli School of Communications plug-in, of course. We're going to have a great journalist joining us. And I don't mean that Nathan and I are not good journalists, but this journalist, I call him, it's not my nickname alone, but we call him Pocky, but Bob Pockers. Yes, the Bob, Bob Pockers is going to be on TPF Live at some point down the road. So yeah, I'm work, we're working hard. It's not just me. Uh, Nathan and I are just digging, 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 digging to make this happen. So just hopefully that, uh, hopefully that podcast love lights. I, I, I'm going to look into it. We're going to find out. And hopefully we'll have a, a weather window <laughs> question for him. So I'm really excited to get these great perspectives from not just Bobby Labonte, but um, Bob Pockers. So ladies and gentlemen, yeah, we're going to have a great time in the month of December. So it's not just Christmas season. It's not just the end of the, the semester, which Nathan's like, hallelujah. And me, I'm just like month off from school. I get to rest my brain a little bit. I love to be in challenge, by the way. But anyway, a lot to get to. But we're going to sign off for now because we don't want to spoil all the fun because episode eight is just around the corner. So Nathan, thanks again for joining me on this program. As always, as my trusty co-host and Rusty Wallace, of course, excellent to have you on the show. So with that, for Nathan Solomon, for Rusty Wallace, Rob T. Oxen is signing off here for the Podium Finish Live. We'll be back next week, same time, same bat channel on the Belfry. So with that, as I say with every program, let's go get that checkered flag and let's go Patriots. Let's win. <laughs>